0: While many would like to relegate Easter to a simple spring fling, there is far more in this Easter celebration that should impact us as believers on a daily basis. Looking for some trustworthiness? It's all found in Easter, as we'll see next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. If Easter should tell us anything, it should tell us that our God is trustworthy. He is true to His Word. We have issues in this life. There is one that we can trust explicitly, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After all, He did go to the cross, die for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That is something that we can take to the bank and count on Here's
1: Pastor Steve Converse now with more. Easter is Resurrection Day. That's what it's all about. Uh, I want you to think for a moment if you can imagine what that first day was like. That first morning, as that buzz of excitement filled the air, it was obvious that something unusual had taken place that morning. Yet no one seemed to really be able to have a handle of it, couldn't get a grip of it. There was a flurry of activity from the very people who were too afraid to be seen or heard after the violent activities of the previous week. Surely something had happened, but what was it? The celebration of the resurrection, beloved, has continued all of these years because despite... The concerted effort to disprove it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day, stands because it has withheld and withstood the scrutiny of one investigation after another. Secular professors of history and archaeology who have set out to disprove the fact of the resurrection have come away with the clear testimony that history is an ally, not an enemy, of the resurrection. If you stop and think about it in terms of today, Jesus was dead on Friday. He was buried, put in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. That would be this morning. And I just want to let you know I don't know where you're at in your life here this morning, but I submit to to you this morning that if Christ can rise from the dead, which he did, you and I can trust him with the problems of our life. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think about Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as we call it, but I like to think about things being full. Church buildings have a larger crowd usually. Usually the music is fuller. The food that fills our stomach makes us full. After the service, many of the houses were filled with family members as they gathered together to celebrate the risen Lord It was a day of being filled. Yet, Easter also brings with it some things that are empty. Some things that are empty. And when you hear the word empty, I don't know about you, but I think of something that is lacking. Like the time I was driving my motorcycle on 280 and realized my gas was lacking. And pretty soon the engine realized the gas was lacking and... Eventually, I had to call my wife and say, can you come and pick me up? (laughs) I'm out of gas. Or maybe when you're done eating a fine meal, as many of us will today, the plate is empty at the end. Maybe you're at the end of the month, and you're looking at your checking register, and you're going, wow, I still got bills to pay, but the bank account is empty. We think of something that is without when you think of the word empty. So today, as we continue through this study in the book of Romans, we find ourselves in part four of this little mini-series titled, Our New Life in Christ. And if, if there's any truth that is to be conveyed to you today, this morning, is that I want you to understand that through Christ's resurrection, you can have a new life. I would like you to understand that this resurrection morning, that we would consider the subject of understanding the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it happened, big deal. What does it mean to me? We're most likely all familiar with the biblical accounts of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus, the Son of God, was born. We celebrate Christmas. He was born in human flesh. He lived some, history tells us, 30 plus years here on this earth as a man yet still retaining his full deity as God. He lived a sinless life, the Bible tells us, without blemish, without stain, without sin. Then he submitted and was completely obedient to his Father's will. The Bible says he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And we understand as the Narration goes on that he was buried, but don't you just love the butts of Scripture? I love the butts of Scripture. But on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. He was completely victorious, beloved, over sin, over death. The Bible tells us that he was seen by over 500 personal people, personal accounts, personal eyes that set their, their eyes on Christ, the risen Lord. And they testified to that fact that Jesus was brought back from the dead. And that's really the cornerstone of our faith, isn't it? If Jesus had gone through everything, even his horrible pain-filled death, yet he did not rise on the third day, it would invalidate the very person he was claiming to be, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It would invalidate all that if he had not risen from the dead. We would be a people with no hope. We'd be a people with no forgiveness. We'd be a people with no joy. We'd be a people with no ability to have a true and lasting relationship with our Creator God. But most importantly, we would be a people who would still be utterly lost in our sins. And the Bible says that hell would be our final destination for all of eternity. But God. But God raised his son from the grave on that third day, just as he promised he would. See, the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead shows us clearly that his work on earth was not only validated by his heavenly Father in heaven, but that it also a, it was an accomplished work. It was something that was complete. At the end of his life as he hung there on that cross, he uttered three words. It what? Is. is finished. Praise God he didn't say I am finished. That's what we would be saying if we were hanging on the cross, man, I am finished. No. Christ said it is finished. The work that the Father had given him to die for all the sins of the world He said, it is finished. And that's the foundational truth of our faith. It's so foundational that the Apostle Paul, the same Apostle Paul that we're going to read a text of Scripture from Romans today, he wrote this. He also wrote in 1 Corinthians. And he was once an enemy of Christ. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee. And he was out persecuting. Christians. He was an enemy of Christ. But he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 to 20. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He wrote He wrote this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But he concludes with verse 20 and he says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, if that is the truth, if that is what we believe, the fact that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, and that truth can transform someone like Saul of Tarsus, who ordered and approved and watched over the persecution and execution of many Christians. You can read the account where Saul was gloriously saved and transformed by the power of the resurrected Christ on his way to persecute more Christians. And he was changed so much that Christ renamed him Paul instead of Saul. One thing I want you to know before we get into our text, I'm going to show you a quick video before we do that. I just want you to know that no matter what your background is, no matter what your background is, no matter where you find yourself here this morning, no matter how far you have run from the arm of God, I want you to understand that His reach is never ending and His forgiveness and His grace never run empty. He desires for you to come to Him. He desires for you to turn from your sin, from your selfishness. We were all there. We all understand that. And He calls on you to yield to His will, just like His Son did. To yield to His will and call out to Him to be saved this morning. Think if Christ would have been risen from the dead this morning. If we were the first to hear the news. Whether you're old in your faith or not, that there's an excitement in your heart. Because our Savior has truly risen from the dead. If you turn your hearts to God's Word this morning, I want to read for us our text, Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 11. We covered verses 5, 6, and 7 last week, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 11 this morning. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, the Scriptures read this, For if we have been united with Him, with Christ, in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Let me read that again. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, look at this, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is the key verse of this text of Scripture, verse 11. So you must, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Last week we began this little study and we talked about what Paul is saying here to summarize it is he's saying living in light of our union with Christ is the key to overcoming sin. If you understand that as a Christian you are united with Christ or as an unbeliever that you can be united with Christ that that gives you victory over sin. To put it another way, you don't live in sin the way you used to live because you aren't the same person you used to be. We looked at a couple points. The first one being this, to overcome sin, we have to know that we are totally identified with Christ in the likeness of His death. And the 2 subpoints there, we are completely united with Christ in the likeness of His death. We talked about that last week. And that union that we have with our Savior means that our unregenerate life is over. It's buried. We don't need to obey our old sinful nature. It's not there. It's in the grave. The Bible says that we died positionally in Christ so that sin has no jurisdiction over us. We don't have to obey the lusts of our heart anymore. For the first time in our lives when we come to Christ, we have an option to sin or not to sin. summary, what Paul is saying here, in Christ, sin's power over us has been broken. And let me tell you, that's because of the resurrection. If Christ had not risen from the dead, sin would still be the reigning power in the world and in our lives. When you come to Christ, you cannot hang on to your sin with one hand while you take hold of Christ with the other hand. That does not work. You must have a distinct break with your old life. The Bible says that as believers, we became united with Christ in his death so that we would no longer be slaves, it says, to sin, as we all were before we came to Christ. So if you claim to be a Christian, and yet you find yourself still a slave of sin or enslaved to sin, at the very least, beloved, you do not understand your new position in Christ. You do not understand that the old man was crucified, it says, with Christ. And Paul would ask you this question in verse 2, chapter 6. He says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And so, up to this point in our study, we've looked at what it means to be united with Christ in the likeness of his death. And that brings us to our message this morning, understanding the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I said we're going to focus on verses 6 through 11. Now, I want you to understand that this text here, in verse 5, he states a point. And then it's almost, he says, now let me explain what I just said. He puts everything else in parentheses. Verses 6 through 10 are parentheses in Paul's mind. So you could actually, if you wanted to, you could actually read verse 5 and 11 together and it would make perfect sense. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also must consider, verse 11, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now remember, the first half of verse 5 talked about us being united with Christ in his death. And then verses 6 and 7, he explains what he meant. That's the outline. And we covered that last week. Now, the second half of verse 5 says, certainly we also, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then he says, I need to explain that too. So he does that in verses 8 to 10. And then in verse 11, he kind of gives a summary of the whole truth. So we're going to kind of work our way back through verses 11 through 8. And we're going to start with verse 11 because it's kind of the capstone of his thought here. And if you don't understand verse 11, you're not going to understand the rest that comes next in the book. But in verse 11, he says, in the ESV, it says, So you also must consider. Some translations say, you must also count, or you must also reckon. That's the word that's used there ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you just briefly this morning what that word means. It's logizomai in the original language in the Greek. And it's basically related, logizomai is related to the word logos. We know what logos means, right? Logos means what? The word. It means word. It can also mean deed. It can also mean fact. It was used in a couple different ways. In the, in the Greek culture. First of all, it was used with buyers and sellers of things. It was used in commercial ways. This word was logizomai. To reckon. And it, 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 it had the idea of evaluating an object's worth or reckoning up a project's gain or losses. Some of you who are accountants here, you'll appreciate this. It's a bookkeeping term. That's what it is. I mean, some people enjoy keeping books. Go figure. I don't get it. You know, that's just not, that doesn't float my boat. I don't know. But some people, man, they just love it. They get in there and, boy, everything's got to add up perfectly. And we get kind of, our, in our own English language, we get certain words from this Greek word, logizomai. When you stop and you think about it, we preserve the word in such words as log. When you log something. Or log, Logistics all seen the UPS commercial, you know, we love logistics, or logarithm. Okay, those three words represent really logismi. When you think about something that's a log, it refers to a numerical record of a ship or an airplane's progress. I remember when I used to drive a limousine, I used to have to keep, log into a book how many hours I was driving. And then you had to take a break. You logged it in. You think of the word logistics. It's, it's really a military term dealing with numbers and movements of troops and supplies. Or you think of the word logarithm, which is an exponent to which the base number is raised to produce a given number. I had to look that one up. I'm just reading it off the page. Some of you mathematicians, you know, you probably just knew that. I didn't know that. So I had to look that one up. But that, it was used in, in commercial settings. But it was also used, this is kind of interesting, that word logismi, to, to reckon or to consider. It was also used in the philosophical sense, in the philosophical wor- world. And it was used in the sense of an object or non-emotional reasoning. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You say, what's this got to do with the resurrection? Well, hang in there. We've preserved the meaning of, of that side of the word in our English language by words such as logic or logical. Okay, the common ground in these two uses of the word is that logismi has to do with reality. It has to do with reality. It has to do with things that are factually true. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with wishful thinking. Nor is it an activity that makes something come to pass or happen. It's an acknowledgement of or an acting upon something that is already true or has already happened. When you think about keeping your books, keeping your check register. Okay, if you're, if you're balancing your checkbook and you write down in your checkbook, well, I got $100. You better have $100, Right? If you're reckoning that down, you better, you better be sure you have $100 in there. You can't just write down whatever you want. I think I want $1,000. <laughs> you know, that may be what you want, but that's not the reality of it. See, that's the wrong use of making the log or reckoning your checkbook, balancing your checkbook. Better term would be deceiving yourself or others. <laughs> if you think you have more in your check, checking account than you do. It also helps us understand verse 11 to recognize that logizomai has already been used several times here in the book of Romans. And in every time it's been used, it always refers to recognizing something that is factual. Not something that's maybe true, not something that we hope is true, something that is factual. As a matter of fact, it appears 14 times before our text here this morning. And it also recurs in Romans 8 and 9. And we'll see that when we get there. But the chief use of this word has been in chapter 4. We already went through this, but I'll just spare you all the details. But it happens 11 times there. It occurs 11 times there. And Paul is employing it to really show us how our sins have been reckoned to Christ and punished there. And how his righteousness has been kind of credited to us. These aren't just imaginary transactions. These aren't just things, well, you know, you just got to have faith. No, these are things that really happened. Jesus really did die for our sin. He really did suffer for our transgressions. And similarly, his righteousness really has been transferred to our account so that God accounts us righteous in him. We don't have any righteousness of our own. Well, thank you for spending time
0: with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today, and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.